The following is a Pro Football Network podcast. The primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome in to Between the Hashes once again. We are a week and a half through college football season, NFL season on the horizon this weekend. As always, I'm Ken Miller, joined by Tony Pauline, the great Tony Pauline, who will be in my city, Columbus, Ohio, uh, in the very near future. We're going to have to... Uh, we're going to have to do something together, I think. If you're here long enough this time, I think we're going to have to make it happen. Going back to Columbus. Now I got that Pretender song in my head. I, I hadn't thought of that song for ages. I'm going to be singing the whole rest of the day on my flight tonight. So. There you go. It's it's what I do. I get, I, I'm get. i that itch in your brain. I, I, you can't shake me. So Columbus, Ohio is the probably the dominant talk of uh, college football slate. I know we're in Ames. We're at the uh, Iowa-Iowa State game for college game day this weekend. That's the matchup. First time they've ever been top, two top ten teams, Iowa versus versus Iowa State, the Cyhawk Trophy. But we'll get to Oregon and Ohio State, the big looming matchup, a little bit later. Let's discuss college football, though. I think that's probably the best way to start out here. The biggest news, uh, biggest news, I guess, it, somehow you can wrap UConn football into the biggest news. I guess it is yeah. Randy Etzel is out immediately after saying, hey, I'm going to retire at the end of the year, and then not 12, 15 hours later, he's gone immediately. Well, after – getting pounded by Holy Cross. I, I mean, uh, you know, it's kind of sad. We spent so much time on this uh, podcast, on this show, talking about uh, UConn, which is probably the worst uh, Division One program uh, in the nation for the past uh, two years. But, uh, you know, they had to get rid of it, Randy Edsel. They, they had no no choice. It, it, was, it, it wasn't even a question. I mean, it was going to kill recruiting. Uh, you follow me on Twitter, literally minutes after that game ended in Holy Cross 1. I mentioned how I said on this podcast a week ago that I expected to keep, I expected Holy Cross to keep the game close. I never expected that they would win. And I said that, listen, one of two things had to happen. They had to get rid of Randy Etzel next week, which they did, or they're going to have to move down to Division One AA. And a couple hours after I posted that tweet, there was a, uh, an article written in a Stanford paper talking about the potential of UConn moving from Division One to Division One AA and the amount of money they would have lost if they go to one double-A. They would have lost the uh, TV deal they have with uh, CBS Sportsnet. They would have lost uh, some of the endorsement deals they have with Nike and a few other places, which brings in millions upon millions of dollars. So I guess they figure it's better to try and improve the program, stay one double-A, and, you know, they did what they had to do. It's an amazing story in the sense that Randy Edsel built that program up out of Division One double-A, to a team uh, that you know made a uh, made a major bowl game uh, in the bowl championship series against uh, Oklahoma, and as a lot of people know, the plane left the, t- the plane with the team left to go home to stores in Connecticut. Uh, Edsel uh, hopped on a plane to go to uh, College Park, Maryland. Surprisingly, signed a deal to become uh, the coach of the Maryland Terrapins, and it's been all downhill since. And it's it's funny we're still in that process of Maryland rebuilding after the yeah. Randy Edsel era of uh, in College Park. So it's um, clearly there's a common denominator. I think in my mind I was sitting there looking like, hey, if UConn leaves, what team do we bring up from FCS? And a James Madison 
hits right on the top of my head there. They have the market, the area, the size. They've done all the things right over the past few years for a team like James Madison to make that leap. South um, Dakota State possibly as well. South Dakota State, yeah. So we're looking if, – if JMU were to have had a game against an FBS team, I think JMU might have also been last week uh, one of the six or seven teams that beat an FBS opponent. I think we're, we're seeing the talent level out or – I, I we're seeing offenses not be up to snuff in week one. That was, I mean, to me, that was a, a staggering number to have that many FCS schools beat that many FBS teams this past weekend. Yeah, yeah. I said South Dakota State. I actually meant North Dakota State. Let, let me retract that. Well, South Dakota State probably could make an argument the way they've been playing, uh, although the, the, as competitive they've been. The problem is, is they run into North Dakota State every year, and North Dakota State is winning championship after championship. So got to kind of retract that. But, uh, I, you know, listen – I think the thing for me is how it turned so badly on the dime for Edsel. Go to, to the BCS Bowl game, uh, the Fiesta Bowl, brings UConn there against Oklahoma. They lose the game. You figure, you know, everything's heading in the right direction. He goes to Maryland, and almost immediately it turned on a dime so poorly for him, which does happen with college, with not only just college coaches, but pro coaches uh, on occasion. Yeah, we're seeing now the, the same thing sort of Maryland. I, I wrote, I did a picks and predictions, and I went seven and three against the spread. All three of my losses were Big Ten games, one of them being, I thought West Virginia would at least keep it close in that game, and I thought they'd even win, but we're seeing that the talent gap finally that, that Mike Loxley's been able to recruit. Rakeem Jarrett, a five star kid at receiver, Dante Dimas, a big time four star mm-hmm. re- recruit. Those guys, possibly NFL receivers in the near future if they stay healthy, but we're seeing it. Tua's little brother finally plays well and up, up to par as well. So Maryland's. It's a sneaky now, not even a sneaky team to to compete for, you know, a, a mid-tier Big Ten spot at this point going forward. Those were sort of, I guess, performances of note from week one. We can transition there as well. And then we saw the flip side. Week zero winners, Illinois, losing to UTSA. That, to me, isn't necessarily the biggest surprise. We're still seeing Illinois have to re- replace some players and believe in getting back into head coaching at the college football level where they're also not with Brandon Peters this past weekend. Sitkowski had to play as well, but UTSA is a program on the rise. Jeff Trailer's building an amazing program down there. They have not Texas scrub by any, any sort of the word, but you know, they're not getting the top players from the, the state of Texas, but those mediocre mid-level next tier down high school recruits in the state of Texas are still top tier players across the country that they're building their team with. UTSA is sort of like the Florida Atlantic in the state of Texas. I mean, it's a team that will occasionally step up and have a good season, make a ball game, but they're always going to be the redheaded stepchildren in the state of Texas. Like Florida Atlantic is always going to be the redheaded stepchild in the, in the state of Florida. You know, they will get players that can't get into the Baylor's or the Texas or the Texas A&M's. They will get the players that get dismissed from the Baylor's or the Texas and the Texas A&M's. And they've had good seasons in the past, and it's a relatively uh, young program. Um, but, but they're one of those teams like the Florida, uh, Florida Atlantics, uh, the way South Florida used to be when they went from one double A to one A, you know, would step up and, and, and just basically take the low hanging fruit, uh, in, in a state that's got tremendous amounts of football talent and then put together some competitive, not winning teams. Yeah. There's some, there's some fun players on there too. And I think we're seeing it. They're all red shirt seniors too. So we're at that stage where, not saying they're going to crack to number two. I think wasn't that as high as USF got that one year where they were ranked yeah, they number two. And, and, and ironically, they lost to Rutgers. Uh, yeah, naturally. Rutgers. I was at that game. They lost to Rutgers on a Thursday night with Greg Schiano. Uh, and then both programs a few years later just went 
went downhill. Now yeah. Rutgers seems to be coming back since Seattle's return. That uh, some some transfer power can do that to you for a team. USF not been able to get those transfer powers, but. Uh, so another one, I think another performance of note, and this goes to, it's a college football performance of note, Nevada knocking off Cal, but a draft performance of note, Carson Strong seemed to be the darling of the weekend once everybody got the tape and started watching him. I thought he was solid. I, I didn't think it was that great. I, I mean, barely completed 50% of his passes, did throw for a row over 300 yards, two touchdowns, struggled in the beginning, had a bunch of drop passes. Uh, but the fact is, you know, when a Mountain West team can go into a Pac-12's home stadium and beat them the way uh, Nevada did, that's newsworthy. And the bottom line is winning the game, and that's what Carson Strong did, and that's what he's done rather well for, you know, a, a season and a half now. Uh, Strong's got uh, – there are some things to, to really love about Carson Strong, and I've basically uh, gloated, over him, uh, gloated over him for the past year and a half. He's got tremendous size. He's got one of the – most amazing arms I've ever seen. I, I just did a bunch of Nevada film, and Carson Strong's got the type of arm. He's able to make throws that only a few NFL quarterbacks can make. That's how great his arm strength is. He's got good vision. He's got great poise. He's very patient on the rush. He's got to learn to go from being a thrower to a passer. That seems to be a theme with a lot of these big-armed athletic uh, college passers. <clears throat> the accuracy of the pass placement needs to be improved. As I said previously on this show, I don't know that the offense out in Nevada is doing him any justice. They don't seem to develop, they don't seem to really build the offense around him. They get a little bit too cute for themselves. But the object uh, of Nevada and, and the coaching staff there is to win games, which is what they're doing. I, I thought it, I thought it was a, a good start. We had mentioned a couple of weeks ago Nevada was having problems with the forest fires, with the wildfires out in California. The smoke was coming over and they were having trouble. They couldn't uh, practice outside. Uh, so for them to get over that hurdle, win this game, it's a great start. Uh, Strong is a guy that should have been on everyone's radar screen, scouting radar, literally since the, midway through the 2019 season. Yeah, and I, it's, he's just going to stay there. Uh, the <coughs> better pun or term here, he had the strongest debut of the, what I would say, draft prospects. Uh, at quarterback at the top of the upper echelon, the Spencer Rattler and Sam Howells of the world, not necessarily performing to their lofty, stature of the Heisman Trophy candidate preseason favorite, the the hype that followed those two, who knows what it was for both of them. Obviously, Rattler still gets the win, and I think we can we can go to that aspect here of the we draft risers, sliders, but also draft impressions from the first week, the first games. Sam Howell, I know you wanted to talk about here. I, it was really awesome to watch Enter Sandman again and, and sort of feel, feel alive with college football fans in the stands, especially for, in my opinion, the best intro in college football, Enter Sandman in Blacksburg. Well, it's funny because uh, the head coach of UNC, Matt Brown, comes out and says, you know, after the game that we're overrated, a couple of things caught me by surprise in that game. You know, Sam Howell's side, the talk was he lost all of his skill players. He lost two top receivers. He lost two top running backs, all of which are now on NFL rosters. The strength of that offense after Sam Howell was supposed to be that offensive line. And Virginia Tech picked them apart. I mean, Sam Howell did not play well, but he was always under pressure. I mean, he was running for his life. That's why he threw three, uh, three interceptions. I believe it was the first three interceptions of his college career. So it surprised me that uh, the North Carolina offensive line played so bad. Sort of, you, you talked about Oklahoma before. The, the Oklahoma defense played so bad against Tulane. Uh, of note, Amari Barno, my highest-rated prospect out of Virginia Tech. I've got a third-round grade on him. One and a half sacks, 
three and a half tackles for loss, brought a typical of what we've seen come out of that program and go into the NFL as far as pass rushers are concerned. A little bit undersized, explosive off the edge, more of a one-gap defensive end if you're not going to use him as a 3-4 stand-up outside linebacker. Very well liked in the scouting community. Came up big in a game that Virginia Tech was expected to lose. Really, really stood out and I think made a name for himself amongst people who did not know the name of uh, Amari Barna before the North Carolina-Virginia Tech game. Yeah, he wasn't quite a household name like maybe Shamari Connor and, and Jermaine Waller, the, the defensive backs, who, or even Dax Holyfield, all three guys who had the interceptions in the game as well for them. So I look at the from the college football angle going to the Oklahoma-Tulane game, there were there's a couple of players I know you like on Tulane or at least one in the, the Riser and Sliders article that you published on ProFootballNetwork.com, but there's a true freshman. It was that first interception for Rattler, his second play of the game. He doesn't take the check down running back who had nobody within 15 yards of him. Forces a, a throw, double coverage. A true freshman picks him off. So it says a little bit to me about Rattler, early season jitters. He still wound up doing enough. But there's a true freshman on Tulane that, you know, when you're picking off Rattler in your second play at, at a major college football of your entire career as 18 years old, Jaden Kennedy, a guy sort of that I'm going to now watch for the rest of his career. He uh, His first major play, he picks off Spencer Rattler, the Heisman favorite. Uh, and, you know, as much as Michael Pratt was impressive, the Tulane quarterback taking an absolute pounding – Kennedy sort of impressed me. Locked down Mims, and I mean, he was tasked with a bunch of talented players on the outside. So there's a there's a player I like on on Tulane for the future, or at least the next two or three years. Uh, but Rattler in general, shaky, but still gets the win. Still stays in that Heisman that Heisman sort of those uh, the odds at least from the odds makers. You know, if you go back and read my preview of Tulane, they've got some good players on defense. Dorian Williams, Nick Anderson, safety by the name of Larry Brooks. I mean, they are feisty you know, in-your-face type of guys. Didn't surprise me that they played that well because they are an aggressive type of team. What surprised me, as I said, was, was with all that talent, Oklahoma gave up 35 points to the Tulane offense. I would have never saw that uh, coming. I, I, I could have seen Tulane uh, defense playing over their heads because they're a talented bunch and they're an aggressive bunch. They really get after it. But uh, I thought it was major failure by the uh, Sooner defense. They won. That's the most important thing. I mean, you know, we, we all see these bumps in the road early in the season, more times than not. Clemson, Clemson usually has them later in the season. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that's what surprised me in that contest. Yeah, it's uh, it was a it was a fun game to watch, especially I had Michael Pratt as the 25th best quarterback in college football. So it sort of felt vindicated. He didn't play maybe like the 25th best quarterback in the country, but his, his sort of his gumption, his ability to, to I get, take a pounding and come back and still want some more and, and will his team to win. I love the way he plays college football. We can discuss whether he's a, a player for the next level at a different day, but the way he plays college football is so much fun. So let's get to risers and sliders, and then we can talk about somebody. Iowa State will again take the, the headlines, I think, this week, obviously with game day being there and it's all black uniforms on a 90-degree day in Iowa. It's sort of say, say your prayers there, Cyclone fans. But a guy who played Iowa State this past weekend, nobody's really talking about him. He's not a no, well-known guy because he plays for Northern Iowa, but Trevor Penning. And Northern Iowa, who also produced a third-round tackle in last year's draft, is probably going to have a second-round tackle. And this year's draft could be an early second-round tra- uh, tackle. Trevor Penning, I had written a piece on him uh, right before the game started against Iowa State. There are people in the scouting community who tell me that they feel right now he is the top offensive tackle from the senior class. 
and that and he will eventually grade out as the top offensive tackle from the senior class. Not surprising in the sense that if you look at the senior offensive tackles, it's not a great class. You look at Penning, six foot seven, three hundred thirty-five pounds. He looks every bit, uh, every bit that amount. He's got an impressive physique. He plays that. Uh, he plays that way. Played left tackle. Plays left tackle for Northern Iowa. Didn't give up any sacks this weekend. Uh, Northern uh, Iowa State had two sacks. Uh, Will Will McDonald, the player I talked about, got his sack off the right side. The other sack came Orion Vance, the linebacker on the blitz, where the, the, the running back uh, missed the blitz. What was happening was Penning was Penning was pitching. Penning was pitching to the inside uh, to help his guard pick up but the defensive lineman Wuzuriki, uh, a guy who I like, who Penning did a good job on all game. I don't know that he's going to be able to stay at left tackle. He looks a bit heavy footed for the left tackle spot. I do think he's got a lot of potential to be a starting right tackle in the NFL. I would fully expect a guy like Penning to be at the Senior Bowl. Uh, senior Bowl this year is in February. Uh, practices are late January. I fully expect him to be at Senior Bowl practices and in the game. Uh, the sky's the limit for this guy. And, and, you know, as we saw yesterday uh, with the kid from uh, Minnesota who just signed the right tackle, who just signed a massive contract. Right tackles where in the past they were the poor redheaded stepchildren to left tackles. Right tackles are becoming more and more coveted in the league which is why Penning, you know, keep an eye on him. I mean, and, I, and when I say keep an eye on him, I'm not talking about middle rounds. I'm talking about top 45 uh, in next year's draft. Now we're talking. Because you have Brian O'Neill as the Vikings Brian guy, former, former Pitt. Right. Not necessarily the best pure pass blocker or even run blocker, but athletic as as they get at that point, especially at that level and size. And so the two things you can't really coach, you can teach them fundamentals and technique is what I – it's got to be becoming coveted because if a guy like Donovan Smith with the Bucks is going to get a massive contract like he did two years ago and he's suspect, but size and look at him now, he's doing okay for himself with the Super Bowl ring. But yeah, it's a highly coveted right tackle position. Top 45 though for Penning. I surprised, but not surprised, I guess. Um, well, yeah, I mean, offensive right? tackle, you know, everybody talks about the quarterbacks and right. Yeah, offensive tackle is a coveted position as a priority position comes draft weekend. I mean, the NFL, Despite what they say in the media, NFL GMs want to see offensive tackles, they want to see pass rushers, and they want to see quarterbacks. And I mean, two years ago, how many quarterbacks went in the late first round that were that shocked the heck out of everybody? And a lot of those guys have not panned out. Brian O'Neill, remember, had a terrific week of uh, senior bowl practices, which really elevated his draft stock. Penning's going to have the same opportunity. I'm, I'm gonna, barring an injury, I'm, I'm, I put my big money on it, and I'm not a betting guy. <laughs> uh, me neither. And uh, yet I, I, maybe I should have been this past weekend getting seven of them right against the spread. So excited to do some more of those with some very unique, interesting lines. And week two is you got to, you got to really struggle in week two of college football to find some interesting matchups outside of the big five or six. A lot of these, you know, major teams or even American and mountain West teams are playing FB, FCS schools going forward. So what about some other risers from this past weekend worth of, worth of action from you? Well, I mean, two linebackers really stood out. If you, if you watch the, uh, you know, the game of the week, the Clemson uh, Georgia game, you could not, you, you couldn't miss Nicobe Dean because he was all over the place. I mean, he was wreaking havoc. He's a guy who's a little bit smaller. He's got a stout build, but he sells out. And I mean, he was almost setting up shop in, in the Clemson uh, backfield, disrupting the action. He's very athletic. It'll be interesting to see if he measures over six foot tall because uh, I think that will be demarcation point as to how early he goes or if he's able to break into, say, the top 40 uh, selections of the draft. But 
He's a guy who's really, really elevated the game. He was someone who I watched last year. He was someone who flashed ability. He seemed to be pulling the whole game, uh, pulling a complete game together. I thought Ellis Brooks of Penn State played really well in what was a defensive battle against Wisconsin. He was tossed from the game late because of what was a really ridiculous targeting penalty, in my opinion. In fact, the uh, the announcers during the game also mentioned it. But Ellis Brooks is a guy who was primarily graded as a street-free agent by scouts. And if you read my write-up over the summer, I, I disagreed. I gave him a six-round grade. I was like, he's got some underrated athleticism. He's got terrific instincts. He's a guy who makes plays in pursuit. He makes plays up the field. And he made a lot of plays against Wisconsin. Obviously, Muhammad Ibrahim has had that season-ending late injury, which was a shame because prior to that injury, I mean, Ohio State had a difficult time stopping him on that Thursday night game. Uh, rushed for, what, 164 yards and two TDs. Uh, really helped keep Minnesota in that game until the injury. It'd be interesting to see, does he come back to uh, Minnesota in 2022? Does he say, I've had enough of college football and enter the NFL draft? Yeah, he was fun. It was super unfortunate, that injury. And then that entire offense was dramatically changed. It wasn't quite Scott Frost, Nebraska level of, uh, I don't know what to do. I threw out half my game plan, but it was sort of what worked wasn't going to work anymore without Ibrahim in the lineup. So that was. And he's been a good back. You know, Ibrahim, he's been a good back for Minnesota for a couple of years. I think he's a guy who's fallen under the radar for whatever reason. Uh, Solid pass catcher, real good ball carrier. I always liked him as a third back. Uh, on an NFL roster, I've, I've had him at, at, with a draftable grade since after his redshirt sophomore season. Uh, not the fastest guy in the world, but tough, instinctive, football smart. Let's just hope he's able to rebound from the injury. Yeah, those yeah. The, the, the Gophers seem to have running backs that stay at that program forever. I feel like Rodney Smith was there from the, the entire year of uh, the 2010s decades, and now we're in Ibrahim of multiple seasons. So I – before we move on to the big games of the weekend, the NFL draft prospects across the Pac-12 Big Ten sort of interconference matchups here, I, I'm going to mention Bo Nix. I was uh, very low on Bo Nix, as I think most everybody was. Jordan Palmer said uh, famously that Bo Nix would be the first pick of the 2022 NFL draft. We're a long ways away from that. Uh, but Nix, I think the growth, I want to just get ahead of it and say – I'm not wrong because 2019 and 2020, he was a terrible college football quarterback, not on the NFL draft radar, but 2021 first game looks more comfortable in the pocket, had a pocket presence that he did not have previously. Uh, he sort of slung it down the field pretty well. And there's, there's some things to like about Bo Nix's game. So he sort of, it makes me want to watch a little bit more of Bo Nix as we go forward with Auburn this year. So just to, to get ahead of it, at least uh, he is on our, he made sort of the list of a watchers, uh, the watch list for the quarterbacks coming forward in the this season. So, yeah, I'm going to take a step back on that one. You know, listen, I, I don't want to be pessimistic. People will complain I'm a hater, which I'm not. But, I mean, it was Akron. <laughs> I mean, you know, we talked about how bad the UConn uh, program is. Well, Akron is not as bad as UConn, but they're darn close. Now, he plays Alabama State this weekend, Auburn and Bo Nix. Then they play Penn State. So, let's see what happens when you've got a real pass rush bearing down on them. Some real good defensive backs and linebackers, players in the defensive second uh, back seven that can cover. I I'm glad for Bo Nix. I hope he's able to keep it up. Uh, I'm just I'm going to be the Downing Thomas until I, I see you get some top competition. That's fine. I I've spent two years of being incredibly down, so it's sort of refreshing for me to be able to talk positively about an Auburn quarterback finally. Uh, but I'll wait until week three before we say anything more. 
uh, just had to get ahead of it maybe, or you or even just talk about it and see where, where our skepticism lies. So the big two matchups of the weekend, yes, Iowa versus Iowa State's a big one. NFL draft prospect-wise, though, they don't get any bigger, in my opinion, this week or maybe even this entire season. Ohio State versus Oregon, maybe they do later. We can figure that out in the SEC play. But out-of-conference schedule, Oregon State or Oregon versus Ohio State at the shoe. We don't get the Chase Young versus Panay Sewell that we thought we might have gotten a couple years ago when they had their their deal for the home-and-home. Home. But we do have quite the, uh, quite the impressive matchup list to watch for draft prospects. We do. I mean, obviously, we got to see what kind of condition Kayvon Thibodeau is because he had that ankle injury against Fresno State. It was an unfortunate ankle injury where his own uh, defensive lineman rolled up on him. Uh, obviously, he's not going to be at 100%. What is What percentage is he going to be at? The guy is a game changer. Right now, he is the number one prospect on my board. And if you read my write-up, and I you know, recommend that you or suggest that you do – uh, which was posted earlier this week. I mean, the guy is everything Thibodeau that he's cracked up to be. He's an explosive athlete. He's, he's stout at the point of attack. Doesn't have the great bulk, but he's got an outside move. He's got an inside move. He's a terrific edge rusher. His intensity and his go, go, go attitude on every snap just pops off the film. Obviously, this week he's going up against two real good offensive tackles. Not first-round prospects, more you know, late second, third-round prospects, and Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Freer, Petit Freer, an underclassman, Munford, a uh, fifth-year senior. I mean, both of those guys, especially Petit Freer, who's relatively athletic, that's a matchup, you know, that it, it, you're going to have to center on, on uh, focus on. Unfortunately, we don't know what kind of condition the Bedos uh, ankle is going to be in, but it goes deeper than that. I mean, Chris Olave, who was a first-round talent, along with his teammate Garrett Wilson, both the receivers from Ohio State, who's not far behind uh, Chris Olave, goes up against a couple of real good defensive backs. And Michael Wright, I like Michael Wright. I don't love him as much as other people do. They also have a terrific safety uh, in that Oregon defensive backfield by the name of Rowan McKinley, who uh, really stands out. Not the biggest guy in the world, but he's explosive and he's instinctive. And then, of course, you know, Seven Banks, who is a lot of people's favorite cornerback. Oregon has got four really good pass catchers, starting with Devin Williams, the transfer, who isn't even a starter, but he's probably the best uh, receiver prospect. Michael Pittman, who's solid. Johnny Johnson. And then Jalen Red, who's a great receiver, but he's only 5'7 and a half. So it's going to be interesting to see how Seven Banks matches up against the bigger body, Devin Williams, the smaller body, but incredibly quick, Jalen Red. The bigger body, Johnny Johnson, for that matter. So there's a lot of good next-level matchups uh, in this contest. Whenever I hear Seven Banks, obviously I can only think of one thing, and it's Costanza saying the how they named him. So I'm, I'm just assuming when they chose his name, it just went for a seven. Uh, Mug Costanza, some of the other famous lines from that one. Seven! I, I'm, I'm excited to see Mikhail Wright sort of matchup against these two top-rated receivers. He doesn't really get those matchups in the Pac-12, so this is sort of testing his skill set. We get to see how he looks against first-round players probably at this rate. I heard it from both Diamond Lenore and Thomas Graham, both drafted prospects, fifth and sixth rounders last year, that he was, that Mikhail Wright, this is, is significantly better than both of they were, them were last year and the year prior. Just the way that he prepares and plays the game, they're incredibly high on him, and they love his work ethic in – practicing during the games and so i mean at that point if they're if he's better than them he's at least a fourth rounder so i, I you know elevate his game a little bit against these top two 
targets or pass catchers. I'm, I'm excited to see that. And, you know, then we get to see the, the two difference in the quarterbacks. We have Anthony Brown has been in college football for half a decade and CJ Stroud, who looked shaky early, his first start, first call, collegiate pass. And then he, he, you know, sort of turned it on. He had some pretty easy and wide open receivers to throw to uh, against Minnesota, but it's a, it's a very interesting one, I, I guess, but right outside of uh, Thibodeau playing against those two tackles is sort of my, I'm most interested to watch that battle. You know, Wright is well-liked in the scouting community. Scouts I've talked with who uh, grade underclassmen, I've already given him a top half around two grade. When I watch him play, I like the athleticism. He just seems a little bit hesitant, struggles making plays with his back to the ball. So I, I'm not willing to stamp him that early just yet. Maybe that comes. Uh, but there, he does have his fans in the scouting community. Are there any players on this Michigan team that have fans in the scouting community? Or are we – not to the extent of uh, Jalen Wright. I mean, obviously, Aiden Hutchinson. Well, I guess we should first preface it by talking about, you know, Washington takes on Michigan uh, Saturday night. Uh, another game that's going to be uh, on Fox 5 after the um, – I think it's on Fox uh, after the uh, Ohio State-Oregon uh, game. Marking Magic. Team who loses to Montana and gets to play Michigan. Washington has a lot of you know, I, I think as far as Washington's concerned, the fact that their top pass rusher, Tupolo Fatui, is out for the season with an Achilles injury kind of puts uh, a damper on it for me because when you watch the film on that guy, he is incredible. I like – I have him graded higher than Joe Tryon at equal points in their career. And we know that Tryon was a first-round pick. Uh, he doesn't have the same height, but he is equally as explosive. He's faster off the edge, but he's not going to be on the field. So where does that leave us? Obviously, Aiden Hutchinson – who's graded, uh, I think, universally right now as a second-round prospect going up against Jackson Kirkland, the Washington left tackle, who's very likely to move inside the next level. Kirkland gets late-round grades, but he's a damn good football player. Not the greatest athlete, but he's fundamentally sound. He does a great job with his body positioning and his angles to protect the blind side. So that is one matchup that's going to be uh, going to be watched. Flip it around. Uh, for Washington, Luke Wattenberg, uh, the, uh, the senior who probably would have been drafted had he entered uh, the April, April draft, but he goes back for his uh, super senior year. And Henry Bainavalu, who is a guard, a big punching the face type of guy. Both of those guys are slug it out type of linemen where Haskell Garrett's a little bit more athletic, a little bit quicker. That's going to be interesting to watch. And Kate Otten, I mean uh, – Michigan's got a couple of good linebackers and Michael Barrett and John Ross. They're going to be up against it with Kate Otten. Kate Otten, had he entered April's draft, is probably the third tight end selected. He's, going to, he's a day two selection. Every, if everything checks off, injury free, he run, he tests well before the draft. He's going to be a day two selection in 2022, probably a second round choice. Outstanding pass catcher who also does a good job blocking. So there's some good next level matchups in this contest as well. I just want to see Dylan Morris be able to get the ball to Kate Otten. He seemed to be the only piece of the offense that actually worked. Otten was against Montana, and the offense just didn't work. Uh, so if Morris can you know, maybe get the ball to him, I'm interested as a college football angle to see when we see Damon Heward's kid, Sam Heward, the talented lefty, the top recruit, the five-star quarterback. I know Jimmy Lake said he didn't want to rush him into to action, but, I mean, at this point, Morris throws three picks against Montana. What's he going to do against a Michigan secondary that has Dax Hill as well in there? So I would like to see Dax and Hill against Otten too, sort of that safety matchup, because you're going to have to 
you know, if Dax Hill, I, I, he's a space closer, just completely cuts off gaps with a with the blink of an eye. Uh, so going up against a bigger guy like Kate Otten is sort of interesting for me to watch that because that's sort of the matchup that he would see a lot in the NFL as well. So I like that one. There's a lot of interesting matchups sort of to pick. We're dependent on Washington getting the ball out with a quarterback who has not proven to do so. So hopefully we get to see a good Dylan Morris or or even just positive play to be able to see Otten. So that's that from those two, the Big Ten Pac-12 cross conference matchups that sort of should dominate the late slate or, or outside of the Iowa, Iowa state game. Is there anything else that we're watching this weekend specifically, or is this sort of week two is uh, go to the game if you can, or go to a game in your local market if you can. Well, you know, I, I for the past couple of years, probably more than a decade, uh, I mean, it's basically the me here in my office where I'm at right now watching three different televisions and watching uh, a couple dozen games each Saturday, but I will be in Columbus for that Ohio state Oregon game. It's actually the first college game I've attended uh, to scout live in more than a decade. So that's going to be rather exciting. That's a lot of fun. That's, uh, you know, again, we're going to have to do something. Maybe we'll go to breakfast or we'll grab something uh, this weekend. But I'm going to try to get to Bowling Green versus South Alabama as well on Saturday because, hey, why not? You can see my guy Jalen Tolbert and see, uh, you know, I like the bowl- I like Bowling Green program. I love Maction, even if we're just playing against a, a Sunbelt South Alabama team. But, uh, yeah, this seems to be, in my opinion, the week. If you're going to go this week or this season, go go out to a game this weekend. Enjoy your Saturday at a college football stadium. So that was that. A lot to look forward to this weekend. The NFL is back tonight. The Bucks versus the Cowboys as well. And then we're back with a full slate of NFL games on Sunday. All 16 games in action Thursday through, through, through Monday. So a lot of football to be watched. For Tony Pauline, as always, I'm Cam Miller. Thanks for listening.